Hey book friends, this is Corey. Thanks for listening along as we have a book club of two over a cup of tea. Our goal is to explore beloved genres as well as push ourselves out of our comfort zone and explore genres we might typically overlook or avoid. In each episode, we discuss a randomly selected genre. We will be sharing our reading experience and a brief review of the books we recommended to each other from the previous episode. Also a heads up, so that we can have a rich and in-depth conversation or maybe spoilers about the books we are discussing. All right, let's get started. Hey, book friends. Welcome to Books and Tea with Curie and Corey. Listen along each week as we have a book club of two over a cup of tea. Our goal is to explore beloved genres as well as push ourselves out of our comfort zone. Visit our podcast site to learn how we pick our genres and books. And we encourage you to read along with us and share your comments and opinions, too. This is Episode 8. How's your week going, Kiri? It's going good. I'm thankful for the weekend, and it's starting to feel a little bit like fall here. Have you noticed in the mornings? Yeah, it's definitely starting to get a little bit chilly. It's so nice to like be all curled up in a blanket finally and not be sweating. But then it's hard to get out of bed. It's true. <laughs> it's catch 22. How's your week? Um, well, it's August, so I'm starting to freak out. Yes, we're recording this in August, even though this is for September. You're not supposed to tell them. <laughs> it's all right. They, don't, they can know our little behind-the-scenes secrets. We, 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 we do this a few weeks in advance. But yes, so, you know, class. by the time you hear this, classes will have started at NAU. But I'm freaking out because I have, like, 20 student workers arriving in about three weeks, and I'm not ready for them. Hmm. Yeah. I don't miss going to school. <laughs> And I'm just like, where did the summer go? It went very quickly. I cannot believe that it's already August, September, whatever it is. (laughs) (laughs) Now that we've thoroughly confused our listeners, (laughs) we are going to get started. Okay. For the next uh, two weeks, our book choices are connected to National Hispanic Heritage Month. It's celebrated in the United States from September 15th to October 15th, and the purpose of the month is to recognize the contributions and long presence of Hispanics and Latino Americans in our country. Uh, The start date was selected because it's the Independence Day for several Latin American countries. I didn't realize that. I didn't either. Yeah, so that was kind of cool, like Mm -hmm. five of them. And it initially started as a commemorative week in 1968, and then it was enacted into a law. So it's actually a law that we have this month. Wow. I know, by Ronald Reagan, of all people. Wow. In 1988. (laughs) Go Ronald. I know. Good Ronnie. (laughs) Did something nice, you know, after he invaded all those countries. And Oh, sorry. Okay. (laughs) We're not going to go there. (laughs) No politics. (laughs) Well, with the the book choices this week. I know, it can't, yeah, it's going to be challenging. It's going to be challenging. But anyway, so there's some interesting little facts for you. And um, we're going to continue to acknowledge and celebrate cultural heritage months throughout the year and um, follow a similar format, which Kiri is going to tell you about. So for this week's discussion, we each selected a nonfiction book that is either about Latin American and Hispanic culture or is authored by a Latino. Next week, we will be discussing our fiction selections that we picked using the same criteria. So it's kind of a two-part nonfiction versus fiction. Well, not even versus, just four books that we're going to pick to dive into both nonfiction and fiction. Yeah. And I think um, I, I can say right now that I feel like I've even learned more about the Latino culture and um, especially in relation to being in America just by doing this. I'm really excited to keep doing this and exploring um, more diverse authors and gaining more perspectives and knowledge about things. Yeah, it's going to be great. 
All right. So, Kiri, what are we drinking this week? So, this week we are drinking Yogi's Classic India Spice. It's organic and sustainable, sustainably gathered. What do grown. you grown? Yeah, and probably and gathered. gathered. Yeah, both. Um, and it's a really. It's not like it's not chai ish, but mm-hmm. it has flavors of chai. It has mm-hmm. this really nice clove flavor, some cinnamon, some cinnamon, but it's definitely different than a chai. I would agree, and I I can only do I guess a sweet chai. Oh, okay. Um. Not even so much because I like I have a sweet tooth, but I find some of the spicier chais, I, it hits the back of my throat in a really weird way. Mm. So I have to dope it up with some almond milk or something like that. But this is a gentler, but it still has kind of that spi- chai spice Yeah, I think feeling. if you were to let it steep for longer, you'd probably have that. It, mm. You only let it steep for like a minute. So <laughs> get true. that bag out of there. <laughs> Well, and I did do that on purpose because I didn't want it to be too spicy. Yeah. So, but yeah, it's tasty. I give it a thumbs up and um, I think it'd be, speaking of the fall, a good fall tea. Definitely. So we'll link it to our show notes and you can go buy yourself a box if you're interested. Cool. So first up, let's discuss your book, Corey. What did you end up picking? So I picked Just Like Us, the true story of four Mexican girls coming to a coming of age in America by Helen Thorpe. And uh, the first note that I put and that I thought was important for our listeners to know is that the time frame for this was written between November 2004 and it ended in 2008. Oh, wow. That's a long. Yeah. That's a Bush administration. Yeah. It's it's basically the Bush administration. And when the book is wrapping up, uh, it was leading into the election where Obama was elected. Mm. And so I just thought that was really important to know that it was pre-Dream Act Mm -hmm. and, and things like that. So it follows these four Latina girls that are living in Denver, Colorado. Um, when the book starts, they're in high school. The author has a really interesting role in that she is a journalist, and she's also married to the mayor of, of Denver at the time. Yeah. So that made, I thought, for some interesting uh, cross-sections of interactions throughout the book. Yep. And it follows them for almost five years. So uh, they're leading into the spring of their senior year of high school, and then it follows them all the way through college. And for all of those reasons, I really, I really liked it a lot. So the other key thing about the book is that all four girls, um, their parents entered the country illegally from Mexico. Um, two of them have citizenship and two of them do not. Mm-hmm. And so it's really tracking them and the barriers that they encounter and uh, the celebrations and the challenges um, that they face. And, you know, and they're all friends, but they're and they have some similarities in their experiences, but some have better success and different experiences based on um, citizenship or lack thereof. Mm-hmm. But I like to, in general, just speaking about the type of book to give um, people a sense of how it's written. Um, it's, you know, it's journalism style and it's that immersive style, which I tend to get sucked into because I think I like it when the journalist has kind of a personal narration put into the book. Um, I don't know what you thought about that with her um, role in that. <laughs> I didn't really like the book, so I oh! feel like I'm a little bit... Uh... Not enthused about any of it. <laughs> Got it. Okay. Well, I had the opposite experience. I really love the book, and I can we can kind of compare and contrast why and why not. But she, um, you know, she attends class with them. She goes to events. She just hangs out. I feel like she really developed a true relationship with each of them, and and she also unpacks her own perceptions, mm-hmm. um, her expectations, her biases, and she interacts with them. I think in a fairly objective way. Like she doesn't interfere 
with it's not like she's out there to save them and be like, I'm going to use my husband's power to get you citizenship. Right. Yeah. I think I really noticed that during the when they were getting ready for prom mm-hmm. as she was kind of the outsider, just kind of like the fly on the wall, literally, mm-hmm. as these mm-hmm. four girls were getting together for their prom. Right. Yeah. And so I, I admire her for that, that she, um, you know, I mean, she's writing the book uh, to influence people and to help perhaps make change, but she's not taking action. She's letting things unfold and observing and commenting on why things are happening the way they are. And it reminded me of another author. Have you ever read anything by Alexandra Robbins? I don't think so. She wrote the book Pledged, um, True Life of Sorority Girls. Nope, I did not read okay. that book. She's written several. She kind of does this expose, immersive journalism. Um, she's done it on a variety of topics. The two that I've read that I really enjoyed was one was on sororities, which, of course, I was a sorority girl. So <laughs> I that particular piece was interesting for me to read it through that lens and, and also think about my own experience. And then she also did one on overachievers in high school, hmm. um, which was fascinating. And she kind of does the same thing, though. She follow, she like finds these people who are willing to let her follow them around and be part of their lives. And she documents and narrates for on their behalf. But then she mixes in like statistics and mm. um, kind of trends and research and all of that to supplement what she's observing and explain what's happening. Um, so along uh, similar lines of literary journalism. almost. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Um, so, yeah. So that's kind of how this book is set up. Um. I don't want to say that it's hard to say that I loved this book. I thought it was a tough read because it deals with some tough subject material, Mm -hmm. but I personally thought it was really well written. Um, The information resonated with me. It really made me think, but um, before I go further, I guess I want to hear a little bit about your reaction and why you didn't (laughs) like it. And then I can kind of jump back in with some things that stood out to me. Yeah. So, you know, the book made me aware about a lot of the complexities of immigration issues and some of the politics behind those issues That being said, I thought this book was absolutely painful to read. And I think part of the reason is because she is reluctant to leave out a single detail while painting a portrait of the larger political climate um, concerning the undocumented and illegal status in the United States. So I think I got maybe halfway through and I just started skimming it because it Similar to how I was feeling towards uh, the immortal life of Henrietta Lacks, there's just too much detail. Uh. And I I get that she was trying to portray this huge topic sincerely and authentically. Mm-hmm. But there comes a point as a reader that if the story just becomes over flooded with details, it no longer holds my interest. Like it moved slowly. Mm-hmm. I think I started skimming during their first year of college. Okay. So okay. I didn't really pay much attention to things outside of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think that it could have been done in fewer pages. <laughs> you know, that's so fascinating. Cause as I was listening to you, I was thinking I'm, I'm seeing a trend here. <laughs> And um, I think this this is showing a really interesting contrast in our reading styles and what we want out of especially a nonfiction book. Yeah, because I would argue, I think I, I've seen you read five and six hundred page fiction books yeah, that are loaded up to the gills. Outlander anybody? Right. That's what I'm saying. So like the level of detail in those books yeah. doesn't bother you. No, but- because it's fiction and it's pretty and you're. I don't know. It's ah, it's different language. It's uh-huh, different context. Uh-huh. It's not so serious. Like this is a serious issue, and we're in a time right now where so it's relevant. a huge hot topic, mm-hmm. and it's 
I'm just kind of bombarded with it all the time. So Uh I think that maybe if we weren't experiencing the social and political issues or not issues, but the current administration's huge agenda, then I think it would not be as compl or as hard for me to get mm-hmm. into it but i think because we're just getting bombarded with it right now i'm kind of like Meh. that's yeah well and i would say i'm having kind of well a little bit of both like i certainly am getting discouraged with how much i'm bombarded and i even made a note i think what did i say here i was like yep relevant with the bold expressions of xenophobia isolationist <laughs> politics and america first that's going on right now america america um and you know but i think that also reinforces that this problem never really went away like yeah it it, it was at a slow summer and things improved during the previous administration yeah but you know, we're just back to where we were almost eight years ago. So. And I think that's current. I think that's an accurate statement for everything right now. LGBTQ mm-hmm. rights, um, any sort of person that is not white is having issues with the mm-hmm. current political stance mm-hmm. on things. And, you know, I just I want us all to get along and for everybody to I love know. everybody regardless. And so this book was just kind of like, oh, I just can't read it right now. <laughs> I, I, I do agree. And I, and I, I feel like I do struggle. I try to be, I try to be an open-minded person and I try to understand other people's point of views. But when it comes to what I just see is such vicious, narrow-minded hate of people and differences, I just can't wrap my head around mm-hmm. that, why some people are like that. I wish I could, because yeah. maybe then I could do things to, you know, find some common ground. But I, yeah, I do find it discouraging, but I think that's where we're different in that for me. And again, this is why they call it immersive journalism (laughs) for the reader too. Um, I do enjoy every so often, if it's a topic I'm interested in, just going all in. Mm -hmm. And for me, the level of detail is really great. In fact, I, (laughs) I wrote, she, she, can you attest what's, what's that? I loved the level of detail she provided. (laughs) (laughs) Literally in my notes. Um, And, and that was one of the things that I liked. Obviously, Kiri got a little bogged down with it, but she just almost every interaction with them, she describes their clothing, Mm -hmm. how they styled their hair, what kind of makeup they were wearing, their mood, their mood. Yep. Um, She described their houses and their rooms. So you really got a sense of where they were living. And and then she got into the personal, like the more the uh, personal side of it. So the relationships with each other, Mm -hmm. how, you know, kind of a status update on who was friends with who, who was tighter. Yeah. You know, who their love lives, how things are going with their families. I mean, the level of detail that she knew about these young women was impressive. Mm-hmm. I feel like she knew about more about them than I sometimes know about my own friends and family. Yeah. You can just become a journalist and but be I don't a know that I'd be good at wall. But I don't know that I'd be good at collecting all that information. I love reading it, but I don't yeah. know if I would be a good observer and collector of it. Yeah. And maybe that's why I like it. Maybe. <laughs> Different tastes sometimes we have. I know. Also, I just sounded like Yoda. Did you? Well, yeah. It isn't isn't that what he does? Like different tastes we have. Isn't that like a Yoda type? We have we different oh, tastes. <laughs> dang it! I can't even make a proper Star Wars reference. When was the last time you watched a Star Wars movie? I just watched all of them what? like two months ago. All of them? Well, the first three, so okay. five, six, seven, or okay, the whatever. originals. Yeah, the originals. Yeah. What'd you think? They were good. Yeah. 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 So <laughs> totally off topic. Let's get back. <laughs> Um, okay. I did make a few notes about some themes that stood out to me. So I felt like it was a coming of age story. Yep. 
And, and I thought, and again, I think that's why it resonated with me as I feel like I read a lot of cheesy coming of age type of stories that are like white privileged women. Um, <laughs> so reading a coming of age story of four Hispanic young women who have come from a completely different life than me that I feel like I knew a little bit about, but actually reading about it, I was like, wow, I know nothing. Yeah. You know nothing, Jon Snow. <laughs> you go. know nothing, Jon Snow. <laughs> Winter is coming. <laughs> Another pop culture reference. Um, and again, yeah, the frustrating stuff, but I think, you know, I wrote laws are great until they don't work (laughs) and like government. Right. Right. And, you know, and and I think again, she did a really good job and great detail as Carrie said, somewhat painfully of explaining the complexities of what it means to be in this country undocumented and how that affects every aspect of your life. And I just kind of kept gritting my teeth and Yeah. (laughs) But I think um, it also reminded me that there's great swaths of Colorado that are not nearly as liberal and progressive as I thought they were. I know. It's kind of like Arizona. We're kind of like secluded in our Mm -hmm. little liberal bubble up Mm -hmm. here. And then you go further south and then it's not as liberal. Um, And I felt like I learned a lot more about the culture. You know, one of the things I made a note about was early on, it talked about the discussion between the use of the words Chicano or Mexicanos or Latino or Hispanic. Because sometimes you feel like, again, as a white person, maybe are those interchangeable? And so, you know, and they're like, oh, no, no, you know, Chicanos are born in the United States Mm -hmm. and Mexicans are from Mexicanos are from Mexico. And oh, yeah, no one refers to themselves as Hispanic or Latinos. Those are white people words. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, yep, okay, well, that's good to know. (laughs) And I think, uh, you know, the last thing that I will highlight and that resonated with me is, um, you know, I work with college students on a daily basis. So Mm -hmm. reading a book that followed them all through all four years of college, you know, some things I could really relate to. And I was like, oh, yes, I've seen that in my students. But I think from even a professional development standpoint, I'm sure that sounds a little cheesy. This was helpful Mm -hmm. for me because I do encounter Latino um, students in my work. And so, you know, and I don't know if they're documented or undocumented. And I certainly have sat in on webinars and we've had conversations along these lines, but it really made me think again and think, okay, so how am I interacting with those students? Am I providing them support? Am I being sensitive? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and again, just kind of the college hijinks. I was like, oh yes, of course that's what you did. Like when they switched <laughs> rooms without telling yeah. their RA and the RA is like, you can't do that. And I'm like, yep, you can't do that. <laughs> when they started doing that, I was like, oh, this is going to end badly. <laughs> says the the resident's life person exactly. I was like oh and then when she snuck the dog in I was like shame shame <laughs> I had a college roommate in the dorm that brought in her cat and she kept it a secret for a whole year and I was like how did nobody know you had a cat I mean I guess cats are different than dogs but still like they meow yeah it's true <laughs> they break stuff it's true, but you'd be surprised at how many of these students. I mean, they eventually typically get caught, but we have lots of students that sneak in animals. So. Naughty, naughty. All right. Well, to wrap things up, I had a couple quotes I wanted to share. Did you write any down? Or I don't have a single quote because okay. that's how much I disliked this book. All right. Well, <laughs> so I'm on the thumbs up. Curious on the thumbs down. So based on what we shared, you can make a decision for yourself as whether or not this is for you. But to wrap things up, um, in her introduction, she wrote. Fortune handed me a messy braid of narratives spliced together by bizarre connections. In the end, though, this is what immigration is like, inherently messy. The issue bleeds and we are all implicated. Mm -hmm. I thought that was great. That's a good one. 
And then uh, she's responding. Someone accused her of being pro illegal immigration. And she writes, she responds back and she says, actually, I do not believe that illegal immigration should be encouraged. I thought the phenomenon damaged this country, not to mention those people who entered it the wrong way. If spending time with Yadera and Maricela had taught me anything, it had shown me that their opportunities were curtailed by their lack of documents. Their illegality perpetually threatened to stunt their mm-hmm. potential. Yeah. And that just broke my heart because that was true. I mean, that was that was probably yeah. the overall theme of the book is you had these bright, beautiful, smart women with all with big dreams yeah. and just busting their butts to mm-hmm. be good students and be good Americans. Yeah. And, you know, and it was like, nope, nope, you don't count. You literally don't count. Yeah. <laughs> You're undocumented. It was kind of sad. It, I think that was also one of the reasons why I didn't like it is because, you know, for the two documented women, things were, you know, the world was their oyster. But mm-hmm. for the two undocumented women, I'm like, you're just, mm-hmm. how are you going to get through this? And well, and I think that's what made the book so powerful, though. Yeah. I mean, I think it, it it was, yeah, it just really contrasted, especially since they were friends and had similar backgrounds. Mm-hmm. But that that one little difference of being, you know, of being able to become an American citizen changed everything. Yeah. Well, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about Carrie's book. Okay, so for this week, I picked Nobody's Son by Luis Alberto Uria. Did I say it right? I think I said it right. And uh, Uria, dang it. So this book is a memoir, and he was born to a Mexican man and an Anglo woman, and it kind of just documents their relationship and his trying to find his way in the world. And, you know, he writes, I am nobody's son. I am everybody's brother. So his story is not unlike thousands of other stories being played out across the United States. Stories of other Americans who have waged war both in the political arena and in their own homes to claim their own personal and cultural identity. Um, It is a story of what it means to belong to a nation that is sometimes painfully multicultural, where even the language both separates and unites us. And, you know, I think it's uh, I, I felt kind of weird about this book. I don't know if you felt weird, but I got kind of confused because I really liked the beginning. And yes. so the opening line for this book is my mom said, I'm so sick of your goddamn Mexican bullshit. <laughs> and I was like, oh, this is going to be so cool. Like, <laughs> it's so funny right now. And then at some point after we got over, you know, he... Luis talks about his mother and his father and how they kind of came to be. Mm-hmm. And then like part two was a random story that I don't think was his, but he was trying to prove a point about something. And then it switched back to being his stories of his families mm-hmm. and, you know, the differences between his dad kind of being a crazy mofo and abusive <laughs> and his mother being a recluse of I'm just going to hide in my bedroom and mm-hmm. not protect you. Um and I just kind of felt confused throughout the whole book of, but is this your, what, who's talking? Like, are you being the narrator right now? Because I think during that second part, mm-hmm. he did mention, so I'm going to tell you a story. Mm-hmm. And I think he even said that it's not about me or this may not be true or something like that. So mm-hmm. that's why I was confused for the rest of the book of, well, now I don't know who's actually narrating this. And then towards the end, I realized that it was him the whole time, but it was just like, 
what the hell is happening? <laughs> it was very strange. It was, yeah, I, I would say it was a little disjointed. Um, but I think maybe that was intentional because I think his childhood was pretty disjointed. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, I mean, it, it kind of jumped around from his life. Wait, was, he, was he living in Tijuana? Was that, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So they lived in Tijuana. That was Shelltown. Mm -hmm. Oh, no, Shelltown was San Diego. San Diego, yeah. yeah. And then that poor part of San Diego. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I my notes were that I really liked the beginning and the end the mm -hmm. best. Um, the middle part, which is unfortunate because those were really were kind of, I think, the stories yeah. um, of his childhood didn't resonate with me quite as much. Um, they were interesting. Yeah. And I was glad to learn a little bit about him, but I, I liked what was bookended. <laughs> yeah. So. And I think what I really liked in the beginning of the book is his description of the language mm -hmm. between English, like yep. Anglo-English and Hispanic, Mexican. Mex that's the proper use of that language, right? Mexican? Is that? No, Spanish. Spanish. Sorry. <laughs> um, and how like beef jerky is a Spanish word mm -hmm. and avocado, mm -hmm. which I kind of figured. And, you know, he gives this list of like 50 words, 50 words that are Spanish words that mm -hmm. we use in America or as English words. And he does that a lot throughout the book. Like he mm -hmm. combines the languages of, you know, this word is French and this wor word is old English and this, this word. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it kind of explains the whole cultural. We've borrowed words from every culture, mm -hmm. but yet at the same time, we're so culturally divided. And mm -hmm. I think that's how he felt with his life of trying to figure out who he was mm -hmm. in a world where everybody borrows certain things from different cultures. But then when it comes to maybe the color of your skin mm -hmm. or where you grew up, there were then walls placed around you as like, oh, you're not welcome on this side of town. But he was a teacher at Harvard. So right. he must have plowed through those stigmas at some uh -huh. point. I don't think he teaches at Harvard anymore, but so. um, he was a pretty well-known professor at Harvard. Yep. Well, yeah, I mean, I think it's certainly – so I knew him from The Devil's Highway. Have you ever read that one? I haven't. Okay, so that's another kind of investigative, immersive journalism. Well, actually, no, it wouldn't be immersive, but um, it's basically about a border crossing that goes awry with uh, in the Arizona desert. So some coyotes are bringing a group over. They get lost. They wander for days. Most of them die. It's a really depressing true story. Um, so he's writing it post that. So I guess we wouldn't call that immersive because no. he wasn't part of it, but it's his research um, and re and piecing together what happened. Um, and that was before I moved to Arizona. So I've been meaning to go back and reread it now that I live here. But again, that was one of those books I really learned a lot about. And I think it opened my eyes to kind of my naivete of what really happens and what the lengths that people will go to come here. But yeah, I mean, I think that for me, the highlights were um, as uncomfortable as it made me at times, the complexity of his relationships with his parents. Yeah. The fact that his mom was anti-Mexican, even though she married I know. a Mexican. <laughs> but, you know, he has light skin and blonde hair and blue mm -hmm. eyes. So maybe he's Italian or yep. tanned. Yep. Um, and I wrote down, he described his dad as he was my hero and my greatest source of terror. Yeah, I felt that throughout that whole book of not uh -huh. really knowing which side you were going to get. Well, and the other story that I really did like that he told was the one where his, you know, initially they're like, well, my dad claimed to do all the, to work for the president, the Mexican president and was very important and did all of this stuff. And then he decided he'd had enough. And so, and he would tell the story about how the mayor had 
written a $2,000 check for him Mm -hmm. and everyone thought that he was just full of bullshit. And then when he was going through his dad's stuff, he finds that uncashed check for (laughs) $2,000 from the president. And I was like, Oh my God. Yeah. So that was an interesting story. And the story of his mom in world war two. Yeah. Getting like thrown out of a Jeep and then bleeding Um, and almost having her legs severed off. That was crazy. That was intense. Yeah. But it was really not cool, but interesting. Yeah. I mean, I could picture it in my head, like that scene of it being pitch blackout and her Mm -hmm. on her hands and knees Mm -hmm. in mud because the blood has soaked the dirt and it was insane. But yeah, I think, you know, he did a good job of talking about being raised in, you know, I mean, again, it brings up issues of poverty, of being uh, multiracial. Mm -hmm. Um, But even then, you know, talking about, you know, the fun things that, you know, the hijinks with his friends and that, you know, so... And I really loved the story with the, with the couple that he, that babysat him all the time. Oh yeah. That cured him of that weird disease that was all over his, what did they say? Not, it was like a weird word for his private parts. Oh, I can't remember. Yeah. Yeah, I know what you're saying. But the story of her funeral, when he talks about watching the private moment Mm -hmm. of Abelino, like touching her face, Mm -hmm. I was like, oh. Yeah. So that was one of my favorite stories too. Um, I thought that was really good. And then I really liked the last section. It was kind of reflective, but it also was this beautiful nature writing. Yeah. It Um, was really nice to kind of be on a journey with him as mm -hmm. he was traveling through the States. Yeah. Yeah. And like setting up up his tent Uh and then waking up to having that condensation rain. I was Mm -hmm. just like, oh, I've been there. I've done that. (laughs) It was nice. Yeah. Because I was like, yeah, you're in my part of the country now. (laughs) (laughs) And I really enjoyed that a lot. And I I did write, there was one piece that I, um, I wrote down that's kind of long, but it was just so beautiful. So I don't know if you had any quotes, but I have one quote, but it's not very long. So you go for it. Okay. Um, Laramie, Wyoming state bird, meadowlark. My tent only takes about five and a half minutes to put up my little house on the micro prairie, distant mountains, clouds come up from the plains, quiet blackbirds patrol the grass, big trucks on I-80 rumble vaguely behind. My Jeep looks noble and jaunty against a fractured sky. Found one stainless steel fork in the grass, says New York State on the handle. Some fresh-sprung jailbird stole his chili spoon from the mess line. I policed the area like the blackbirds, solemnly looking for bugs. Unbelievable light. The sun slants close to the ground, and pure heartbreak light floods all across the landscape, pushing my shadow like a log on a wave. Storm clouds in the distance start as a blue-gray smear near the earth and knot and tumble and rise and grow to massive bright white fists 12 miles high. Again, I think it's my love of the West Mm -hmm. and I I can just picture myself out in that same kind of scene. But then, you know, he has these little bits where, you know, it's this beautiful nature, but then he like inserts humans into it. Like the truck's tumbling, (laughs) the truck going along, but... I don't know. I mean, I'm not really a poetry type of person, but I'm like, 
this felt like poetry to me and it was yeah. just so beautiful. I like read it like two or three times mm-hmm. and that whole section, like I probably could have read like that whole last chapter out loud to everyone, but they'd hate me for it. <laughs> so you just get that little piece. If you want to go read it and get more, you can uh, do it. Yeah. And my quote is kind of the complete opposite of that. It's about his mother mm. and it says my mother bouncing through the night, bleeding her life away into the filthy undershirts of unnamed faceless warriors. And that was part, you know, of mm-hmm. his world war two of her world war two story that she was saying and you know she i was so confused by her as a character mm-hmm. or at least his description of her mm-hmm, as a character because mm-hmm. i was like she is a mom and i get that not all moms are nurturing or very motherly but it kind of seemed like she was so not there mm-hmm. you know there are times where they were sitting on the couch or you know his dad driving like a crazy person up the mountains and her getting scared like i <laughs> You know, I imagine that there was some sort of abuse there Mm -hmm. that maybe wasn't mentioned because the father was so abusive to Luis, Mm -hmm. um, which maybe made her kind of slouch in her room. Like multiple times Mm -hmm. he's mentioned she was in her bedroom Mm -hmm. because they didn't sleep together. They didn't share a room together. So it was very like she was absent Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways, but also very present in his life in Mm -hmm. certain ways. It, It was very it was a conflicting characterization of his mother I feel like and maybe that's how she really was so I can't judge it was just like oh she's there and then she's not there and we don't hear about her (laughs) for like 50 pages and then oh she's there again so (laughs) storytelling is an interesting well especially when you're writing a memoir about yourself and you know I mean he and again he's kind of bouncing around but a lot of it was when he was a kid right and you have to think so he's reflecting on childhood experiences as an adult, mm-hmm. but his memories are through the lens of whatever age he was at that time. So, you know, they're genuine perceptions and that was his reality as he remembers it. But it is probably disjointed because, you know, as a, at a young age, he probably didn't understand what was happening with yeah. his parents or why his mother was like that or mm-hmm you know, why his mom and his dad didn't get along. So I think maybe that was part of the point of this book was him trying to figure out why was my childhood like this? Right. And how did my parents play into that? And why were they like the way they were? And I don't know that he necessarily came up with an answer. He just kind of threw it all out there. Yeah. This is, this is the life of me. Nobody's <laughs> yeah. son. Nobody's the story son. of a American. What is it? There's a little, yeah. Notes from an American life. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, yeah, I thought they, I mean, in some ways, they kind of complemented each other. Yeah, well. definitely. Um, you know, two different sides of the coin, but uh, went together well. Yep, definitely. All right. So, next week, we will be discussing the fiction part of our his National Hispanic Heritage Month. Thank you, Corey. <laughs> That's why we work together. We finish each other's sentences <laughs> <laughs> so Corey, what did what did you end up picking for next week so i have picked the brief and wondrous life of oscar wow um, by juno diaz and the little description for it says oscar is a sweet but disastrously overweight ghetto nerd who from the new jersey home he shares with his old world mother and rebellious sister dreams of becoming the dominican jrr tolkien and most of all, finding love. But Oscar may never get what he wants. Blame the Fuku, a curse that has haunted Oscar's family for generations, following them on their epic journey from Santo Domingo to the USA. 
Encapsulating Dominican-American history, the brief and wondrous life of Oscar Wao opens our eyes to an astonishing vision of the contemporary American experience and explores the endless human capacity to persevere and risk it all in the name of love. What's love got to do, got to do with it? (laughs) (laughs) So my pick uh, is Shadow of the Wind by, by Carlos Ruiz Zafron, I believe. And this is uh, based in Barcelona, 1945. A city slowly heals in the aftermath of the Spanish Civil War. And Daniel, an antiquarian book dealer's son who mourns the loss of his mother, finds solace in a mysterious book entitled The Shadow of the Wind by one Julian Carax. But when he sets out to find the author's other works, he makes a shocking discovery. Someone has been systematically destroying every copy of every book Carax has written. In fact, Daniel may have the last of Carax's book in existence. Soon, Daniel's seemingly innocent quest opens a door into one of Barcelona's darkest secrets, an epic story of murder, madness, and doomed love. They both end with love. 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 (laughs) All right, people. Well, thanks for listening along, and we will see you next week. Hey, book friends, we hope you enjoyed our conversation today. Thanks for listening along with us. Head over to our podcast site to share your recommendations and your opinions with us on the books we have read. That website is booksandteapodcast.com. It's also where you will find our podcast show notes with a full list of titles for the books, along with our favorite tea and what we mentioned today. If you are on any social media, feel free to stop by our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter accounts. You will find those links on our website. To be the first to hear about the next new podcast and what we are working on, make sure you are signed up to our newsletter. 